Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Welcome to you all, the Andrew Lawton Show here, April 11th, 2023, uh, where I am in southwestern Ontario. It is a plus 23 degree day right now, which is why I'm in such a, a chipper mood. I dislike the cold weather immensely. I lost out on the climatic lottery by being born in Canada. It was a great thing for many other reasons, but uh, no one, I've never actually heard one person say I love the weather in Canada. I mean, I guess conceivably, if you were from, uh, you know, I don't know, the tip of Sweden, the northern tip, you might find Canada to be slightly more balmy. But I've never heard anyone celebrate the weather of Canada. So now that we are not just in double digits, but above 20 today, I am awfully happy if you are in. I, now I got to look. What's the, the weather in Edmonton today? Edmonton weather. See, in Edmonton, it's three degrees right now. So I love Alberta, but uh, the weather there is not ideal. Uh, nevertheless, weather aside, lots going on in the country and the world today. I thank you so much for tuning in. I'm uh, going to be speaking very shortly with lawyer Lisa Bildy, who is uh, organizing a takeover, not in the hostile coup d'etat sense, but a democratic takeover of the Law Society of Ontario, pushing back against political overreach in that regulatory body. And as we've seen in the last little while with the College of Psychologists and Jordan Peterson, these regulatory bodies have a tremendous amount of power. So we will talk about that with Lisa very shortly. Also going to talk about this story of Justin Trudeau giving what I think is the worst First financial advice I have ever heard, which is probably not surprising if you've looked at this federal government's track record on spending and budgeting. So I, I can't say I'm shocked by it, but we still have to uh, talk about it. And what else is going on? I don't know if I'm going to get to this Dalai Lama thing. Everyone's talking about the Dalai Lama, which is not normally what happens in my line of work. So if we, if we have time, I may talk about the Dalai Lama thing. If you really don't want me to, I don't want to either. So let me know in the comments, and then I can just skip over that uh, grotesque story. But I do want to talk about the uh, CRTC here, which is, again, I know a big snooze fest a lot of the time. But the CRTC is the body that regulates television and radio stations in the country. So if you want to go and open up uh, Joe's radio station, if you want to, you know, CJOE, I guess would be the, the radio station. I don't know if those call letters are taken. You would need to get permission from the CRDC. You'd need to get a license. This license governs what type of radio you can broadcast. It governs the wattage at which you can broadcast all these things. And they have the control entirely. So when Sun News Network was on the air, they actually needed to go hat in hand to the CRTC and demand permission to get the same treatment that other news networks in Canada had. Now, the CRTC turned them down, and ultimately this was what, among other things, cost Sun News their business, which is why they had to fold up and go home. So the CRTC is the gatekeeper, to use the Pierre Polyev language, of being a broadcaster in this country. Uh, and that just doesn't stand for Canadian companies that want to broadcast, but even foreign TV stations that want to be on the airwaves in Canada, like Fox News. So an LGBT activist group in Canada, a gal Canada, is calling on the CRTC to rescind the broadcast license of Fox News. So a gal has published a letter 
calling on the CRTC to begin public consultations on the removal of Fox News from the list of non-Canadian programming authorized for distribution in Canada. So they're basically saying, just, you know, get out of there, you dirty foreigners, we don't want you. Uh, you're the wrong kind of content. You uh, are transphobic, basically, is the crux of their argument. Now, if you read the letter from a gal, which is directed to the chairperson, because uh, you can't have a chairman anymore, the chairperson and CEO of the CRCC, Vicky Eatrides, 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 I don't know the pronunciation, uh, but they specifically take aim at this clip of Tucker Carlson on his very popular primetime show, Tucker Carlson Tonight. The trans movement is targeting Christians, including with violence. Most Christian leaders in this country don't want to admit that. Admitting it might force them to take deeply unfashionable positions. But it is true, and anyone who's paying attention knows that it's true. Now, this was part of a longer discussion that took place on Tucker's show. His uh, crux was that there is a trans activist-led crusade against Christianity. Obviously, he was talking about that horrific uh, Covenant Christian School shooting in which it was a transgender shooter that went in and killed all those children. And I, I didn't talk about that because I, I don't feel there's any need to join in on the politicization of a tragedy that seems to be the left's go-to after everything. Anything is just uh, prime uh, gun control fodder for them, and they don't actually care about human life the way they say they do. But all of that aside, a gal Canada looks at Tucker Carlson talking about this uh, story, and they say, you know what? The time has come to get him off the airwaves, to get Fox News off. They say the coverage is aimed to provoke hatred and violence against 2SLGBTQ I, or it's the Roman numeral for one. You can never be too careful. Communities, particularly those who are two-spirit, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming, which is an acronym I've never seen, 2STNBGN. Uh, so we have uh, significant bigotry from Tucker Carlson towards the 2SLGBTQI and 2STNBGNCUMMUNITIE, sorry, communities. I can say that one without acronym acronymizing it. Uh, but they say it's a clear violation of Canadian broadcast standards, has no place on Canadian broadcasting networks. They say he's made false and horrifying claims. He's painted trans people as violent and dangerous. He's made the inflammatory claim that they are targeting Christians uh, to position trans people in existential opposition to Christianity is an incitement of violence against trans people that is plain to any viewer which is not actually plain to any viewer, and I say is actually plain to no viewers, except for those of a gal who are writing these letters. But they go on to the technicalities of this and say that uh, if you want to have a TV station that is authorized for distribution in Canada, it is the CRTC that is responsible for authorizing that. They don't license it, but they say that non-Canadian broadcasters have to be held to the same standard. And there's a little line in here that they cite that you can lose your license or be fined if you broadcast, quote, any abusive comment or abusive pictorial representation that, when taken in context, tends to or is likely to expose an individual or a group or class of individuals to hatred or contempt on the basis of race, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, age, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so all of the, uh, the human rights lingo there. And they say that there is firsthand experience on their part 
of hate from that single segment on Fox News. And By the way, before I get on with this letter, they're not even trying hard. I mean, if they really wanted to take down Fox News, I, I watch Fox occasionally. I like some of it. I don't like some of it. I don't really care about the substance of it. I uh, f find what MSNBC broadcasts to be tremendously objectionable, but I don't want them taken off the air. And the thing is, like, if you really wanted to go after Fox, you could probably go and find a clip a night of Greg Gutfeld making this joke, Tucker Carlson making this point, Laura Ingram saying this, and make like this this whole compendium of content. They they aren't even doing that. They're saying, you know what, this one clip alone, this one clip alone should just have Fox News vaporized from Canadian airwaves. They say they've experienced firsthand the hate that this clip caused. Nowhere do they articulate in this letter what that hate was or how they experienced it or who was harmed, who actually took this as a call to violence like they say it is. And then Helen Kennedy signs off and says that Fox News needs to be held to the same standards in Canadian broadcasting. By that, I guess they mean it needs to be painfully boring. But uh, nevertheless, they want the CRTC to begin public consultations on the removal of Fox News. Well, let me commence my own contribution to the public consultation. Get bent, you disgusting censors. These people who don't like anything that threatens their narrative and their stranglehold on the narrative, they want vaporized. These people that don't actually believe in debate, they do not believe in free speech. They do not believe that any opinions other than their own are legitimate and therefore should be permitted within the bounds of society. You know, I, I came across this quite recently, and I, I may explain a little bit more about the context of it at, at a later date when I have a bit more time to reflect on it. But I had a, a conversation with someone with whom I, I disagreed on a lot of things, and I hope that maybe we could come to some bit of common ground on something. I didn't expect we would agree I was entrenched in my beliefs, she and hers, but I thought that maybe we could just find some first principle on, on which we could agree. And I realized we couldn't. And the reason for that, as we agreed, I guess, we agreed on the source of the disagreement, so yay. But we agreed that she disagreed entirely with the idea that we should entertain a multitude of views in society. She fundamentally rejected that. She was picking and choosing which views she thinks can legitimately express. And coincidentally, all of them aligned with her views. And look, this is something that we need to be aware of, that not everyone supports free speech, that some people actually reject it. And the reason they reject it is because they know that free speech is the conduit through which they'll be exposed to be complete and utter frauds. They know that when people can speak freely and debate freely and discuss, they will turn on these positions that we're being told to accept at face value without questioning. And that's why, I mean, Gal Canada, look, I, I know they, tremendous, they are tremendously passionate about the work they do. And if that is the case, own up to it. Own up to it. If you don't want the debate on transgenderism and gender identity, which is a lot more complex than just standing up for human rights for gays and lesbians, if you don't want that debate, you are in the wrong space. And I would be remiss to not point out here that a gal takes money from the federal government. A gal is not just some political activist group that is lobbing grenades from the sidelines, rhetorical grenades. I'm not making a call to violence here. They're a group that gets millions of dollars, millions in government of Canada funding. 
millions of dollars of government funding. Now, for what? Who knows? They do training, they do research, they do advocacy. The government gives the money for this service, and they turn around and then go to an organ of government, the CRTC, and say, you guys should take these people off the air because we do not like them. Now, CRTC, again, to its credit, has not responded and said, yes, I agree, we're going to do this. They may reject it. But why this is so important in a current context is that Bill C-11, the bill we've been talking about so much for now a couple of years, has a huge expansion of the CRTC's regulatory authority to include online content. So all of a sudden, the CRTC won't just be responsible for TV and radio stations. The CRTC will be responsible for online content, for YouTube videos. So how long until they're saying, don't just take Fox News off the Canadian airwaves, take Fox News off YouTube, take Fox News off Rumble. And if Rumble won't take it off, take Rumble off the internet. Uh, that is what these people are saying. That is what these people are doing. They are not interested in free speech. They're not interested in, oh, you broke section 21.7 subsection C of the Broadcast Standards Act. They want to outlaw dissent. They want to outlaw debate. And they're doing it so brazenly because they know they're going to get away with it. So do not let them. Do not let them. I want to move to a political battle that is taking place in Ontario right now. And before all the Westerners tune out, I assure you this is something that has much broader implications than just for Ontario. The Law Society of Ontario has its bencher elections, which are basically the elections for its board of governors coming up. And there is one group of, I don't know if I'll call them disgruntled lawyers, but I'll, I'll say very impassioned lawyers that are speaking up and saying, that they want change. They think there's been bureaucratic and political overreach by the Law Society. Uh, they did this with some success in the last round of elections with the uh, efforts to stop this statement of principles that the Law Society was forcing on lawyers. Lisa Bildy is, as always, the uh, mastermind behind all the good things happening in law in Canada, and she joins me now. Lisa, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, thanks, Andrew, for having me. Uh, I don't know about mastermind, but I seem to get uh, messed up in everything anyway. <laughs> well, because you're not satisfied sitting on the sidelines, which is good, because I think most people are, are ready to throw in the towel on a lot of these things. So uh, this is the, the campaign. It's called fullstoplso.ca, and people can check it out for themselves. But explain to me, first off, what the issue is here, because I, I know there was a fair bit of momentum around the uh, Stop SOP slate that you had a, a few years back, and I think a lot of your your candidates were successful and I think a lot of people on the outsides probably thought okay great the battle's won right well that was only just a small taste of the battle because if you you may recall the statement of principles was one of 13 recommendations that were brought in in 2016 under the previous convocation which is the name for the the board of governors um, so the, these were based on something called the STRATCOM report, which was um, basically it, it, it concluded that there was systemic racism in the profession. It was questionable in terms of their methodology and the statistical validity of all of this. And then they, of course, uh, they extrapolated um, to say that all equity seeking groups should be entitled to to the benefits of what they were pushing forward, which I, without defining which equity groups and, you know, so it wasn't really just about racism. But in any event, uh, there were 13 recommendations that were brought in by the convocation, one of which was the statement of principles. 
actually there were, uh, and th that was only one of like a, a subsection. So, so there's like 12.75 more percent more <laughs> or, or uh, 12, 12, 12 and three quarter more uh, suggestions that need to be implemented. And they're just basically waiting in the wings to, to bring these back in. Some of them include things like uh, an inclusion index where law firms are ranked based on their um, you know, on all the boxes that are checked and the satisfaction of, of staff and, and lawyers who, um, who, who happen to be coming from these equity-seeking groups, whichever they are. So basically, it's a naming and shaming kind of exercise for, for large law firms. And of course, for a lot of large law firms, this is part of what they do anyway. Uh, they have, you know, EDI departments, and this is, this is the kind of thing that their clients expect and so on. Uh, and so basically it's free marketing then for those law firms to be given this stamp of approval by the law society uh, at the expense of, of the smaller firms and, and sole practitioners. I mean, that's just one more. And then the statement of principles is supposed to be incorporated into the rules of professional conduct. And there's other, other measures that I, I could go on. Um, but there's an awful lot of da data collection and um, processes involved that, that all emanate from the same source. And so we did get rid of that statement of principles and the opponents that we have this time who have um, formed a slate of their own say that the stop, the, the SOP is dead. We will not be bringing that back, but uh, they haven't said anything about these other measures. One of the big things that I, I brought up earlier on in the show that I, I think is important to note here is that regulatory colleges have oftentimes operated in the shadows because if you're not a lawyer, you think, okay, well, what does the Law Society of Ontario matter to me? And I, I realize there's a, a bit of a difference there if you're someone who has to make a complaint about a lawyer and, and all that. But, but we saw with Jordan Peterson recently when the College of Psychologists decided to go after him that these groups are very much politicized. And, and I think when the Trinity Western case came up, a few years ago and the law societies were effectively blocking Trinity Western from setting up a law school, uh, you have people starting to see, okay, these groups are entering the culture wars. These aren't just focused on, you know, do you have the right insurance and are you qualified to practice? Right. And that is obviously a big concern. We are seeing it in a lot of other institutions. I having sort of uh, taken the position I did on the statement of principles, ended up attracting a lot of clients who were also being essentially punished for their views in, in other regulatory bodies across the country. And so I'm seeing this in a lot of places. It isn't just this institution. And what, what's happening is, um, you know, they're, they're being weaponized in effect by activists who don't like the views of members. And they've now discovered there's this disciplinary process they can tap into. And so we saw this with COVID, we're seeing with gender issues. Uh, if somebody expresses a view that doesn't fit with the orthodoxy of the day on, on any of those topics, uh, well, then a group of activists or even a single activist can send a letter of complaint. And then suddenly, if, if it falls to, you know, on a receptive audience, which it increasingly does, as more of these same thinking people move into the bureaucracy, um, then, you know, suddenly this, this licensee has, has a whole disciplinary process to deal with as a result of their views in the public square. You have nothing to do with, with patients or, or what mm -hmm. have you. So, uh, so it is dangerous. And in fact, the Law Society is proposing to bring in similar sort of powers to what we were seeing with the Jordan Peterson case, which uh, um, would, would essentially force uh, a lawyer, when there's no reasonable and probable grounds for discipline, to still come before a committee of their peers to be re-educated, chastised, whatever, and that this will also be made public on their record without any input from them. So it's, 
you know, you like to think that it would be used for things like competence, uh, making sure people are doing their, you know, they, they aren't, um, you know, handling mortgages badly for real estate clients or, or missing limitation periods or, or that kind of thing. But the temptation will always be there to use it for other purposes. And that's really what our group is trying to do is we're trying to say, look, this has to be a neutral body. If it wants, if we want to self-regulate, it needs to be neutral. And so we cannot be going down this path of regulating people's political opinions or, you know, amassing power in the bureaucracy to to um, to go off on all these other tangents. I, I remember it uh, would have been however many years ago now. I can't recall. I was covering the Ontario carbon tax uh, challenge before the Court of Appeal, and it was at Osgood Hall, which is this beautiful building that everyone only knows about now because of this fight over trees or something. But uh, you, Osgood Hall is home to the Court of Appeal for Ontario and also to the Law Society of Ontario. And there's like this, I recall this hallway that you go down. And once you go down that hallway, you're on the part that the Law Society governs. And I remember uh, knowing that instantly because you pass this corner and it's the uh, transgender washroom on one side and the Muslim prayer room on the other side and you sort of realize okay we're now in in wokistan here so i i look at the three pillars that you have for this full stop platform stop bloat stop creep and, and stop woke uh, are there people that you're finding that that aren't as happy with that third category they're saying yeah I'm, I'm on side with stopping the bloat but i'm okay with the woke or are you finding that the legal community is pretty much in these two camps of yes this is all good and no we need to put an end to it well, I think there are some who feel a little uncomfortable with it. Um, you know, again, it's it's a it's a colloquial term that has taken on a whole lot of meaning, and and not perhaps the original meaning that it had back in the 20s and 30s when it was more of a um, you know a, a, a racial awareness campaign, which you know had some importance and, and value. But it's become what I like to call social justice fundamentalism now, and so a lot a lot is being ushered in under that and. You know, there's always there are always going to be people who still want to believe that the words that are being advanced in this orthodoxy mean what we think that they mean rather than what they actually mean. So, for example, equality, diversity, and inclusion all sound like great words. I don't think there's a single person uh, that I've met, or and certainly none on our slate, who don't think that those words, by their normal meanings that we all kind of assume we're talking about, would have any problem with those mm -hmm. things. But those aren't the things that they actually mean. And so when they say equality, they really mean equity. They mean uh, equality of outcome. They mean everybody needs to end up in the same place, regardless of, you know, merit, circumstances, uh, personal decisions, whatever. I mean, you just need to have, we just need to have a head count, basically. We need to have everybody at the end of the, the finish line looking the way that they're supposed to look. Uh, so that's what equity is. And then inclusion, again, we only include people who think like us. OK, mm -hmm. so it's not really inclusive and diversity. Well, you know, uh, we can have an entirely female panel, uh, all females of the same you know, racial background, and that's considered diverse. Uh, but that's not what most people think when they hear those words. But the, the activist meaning is really quite different. And so to some degree, it's a failure of education, I suppose, to to help people understand what we're really talking about. And I, I suppose we need to work on that. Yeah, I know. And I, I think that's fair. And I'm curious if you could uh, shine some light on what voter turnout on, on these venture elections is. Do you find that historically lawyers just pay their ridiculous licensing fees and carry on and don't really care who they are? Or do you find that they do take a really active role in, in picking these ventures, as they're called? Well, you would think there'd be more. And the, the numbers have never been great. Um, 
I think last election they were just under 30%, which was a, was particularly low and which was shocking to me when I heard that because well, yeah, cause that was the one that even non-lawyers had heard about. Right. I mean, it was it was a galvanizing issue. Normally, there's nothing to even, you know, you just kind of vote for the names that you've heard of. OK, that lawyer sounds like somebody I've, I've come across. You seem all right. Um, you know, the, but but people actively came out last time, I thought. Um, but the numbers didn't demonstrate that. So I, I don't know what that says. A certain amount of complacency in the profession, I guess. Or maybe people are just tired of, of the conflicts. But uh, you know, if you're tired of the conflicts, then I think you want a neutral regulator. So, you know, vote for us and we'll, we'll get things back on track is basically the position that we're taking. Just to look at the bigger picture here, how is this battle playing out in other provinces to the extent that you're aware? Is, is Ontario pushing further or is this just kind of already accepted elsewhere? It depends. Some, I think there's a variety of experiences. Uh, I would say most institutions tend to attract the kind of people who, who have a, an activist agenda. And so they're in various stages of that unfolding. Uh, in terms of the legal profession, I, I believe that, you know, Ontario was, was a leader in bringing a lot of this stuff in. And, and uh, to the chagrin of some who, who wanted that move forward, um, it's been basically on hold while our stop stop ventures have been around. Um, you know, this inclusion index, for example, was basically iced uh, last year because by now the data is kind of out of, out of um, you know, it's, it's, it's not current. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they, they say, well, you know, we're not going to do the inclusion index or they imply that they aren't, but it, it will be back. They, they basically just put it on hold tour out of the way. Um, so I don't, I don't know where, where the others are starting to catch up a bit more, but I haven't done an, a, an exhaustive analysis. I heard that um, New Brunswick is bringing in a climate change uh, committee uh, in their law society. So I, I, it continues. I, I don't even know how that applies to the law society. Like, I'm, I'm not even sure what they'd be governing in that case. I don't know. Carbon offsets if you want to go and visit your clients or something. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I wish you the, the best of luck with this, Lisa. I know we'll, we'll certainly have your voice on about cases uh, in the future, as you always have ones that are incredibly important. But it's good to see you taking up this fight. Uh, people can learn more about it at fullstoplso.ca. And you've got, uh, by the way, it's great. When I look through the candidate list, I see like a third of them I think I've had on the show in the last year. So it's good that you have uh, the right people running or I have the right people uh, coming on the show or a bit of both. Good stuff. All right. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Thanks very much, Lisa. Always a pleasure. Uh, this uh, just breaking news just came in uh, about a minute ago. So I am learning about this basically in real time with you. I am going to read to you a letter that I have not even read myself because uh, someone sent me a message and said you should read this letter. So I'm, I'm hoping it's good here. Uh, Pierre Polyev has sent a letter to Twitter. Uh, it says the following... I am writing in respect of Twitter's practice of identifying certain accounts as government-funded media. Twitter's platform use guidelines describe the practice as follows. Government-funded media is defined as outlets where the government provides some or all of the outlet's funding and may have varying degrees of government involvement over editorial content. Twitter's platform use guidelines refer to a source that describes the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation as a publicly funded broadcaster. It goes on to say that the uh, annual report disclosed that it receives $1.24 billion, the vast majority from the government. In the interest of transparency, I believe that Twitter should apply to the government-funded, or sorry, I believe that Twitter should apply the government-funded 
media label to the CBC's various news-related accounts, including CBC, CBC News, and CBC Alert. Sincerely, Pierre Polyev. Sorry, the Honorable Pierre Polyev, leader of the official opposition. So uh, just a little bit of context here. If you look at the BBC's Twitter account, uh, they actually had this little flare up when Elon Musk decided to be Elon Musk. And a couple of their accounts had the label put on it that it was government funder, state funded media. And all of the journalists lost their mind. They said, no, government funded media is different than state funded media. And the, bit, the really hilarious battle that was in the U UK is that, no, the government doesn't pay BBC. They force taxpayers to pay a license fee to BBC. And I was looking at that. I'm like, that, that literally is government saying that BBC needs to be funded by taxpayers. So nevertheless, in Canada, the funding is more explicit. The federal government gives CBC a giant $1.3 billion, whatever it is, annual subsidy. And that money funds uh, brilliant shows like Little Mosque on the Prairie. And uh, that one about like the transgender tomato or what was it like the non, it was like a non-binary peach or a transgender tomato or something that was lecturing us about colonialism. I, I We talked about it on Fake News Friday, however many weeks back. And Every time I'm so like, I believe I'm just describing a strange uh, dream that I, I don't do acid, but I imagine if I did do acid, that would be what it looked like or felt like. Um, so, so Pierre Baliev is saying to uh, Elon Musk and to Twitter, you should really put that state media label on CBC. Now, this is, by the way, a cautionary tale to conservatives. When you do the leadership thing and you talk a big game, and then in the general election campaign, once you're the leader, you ignore everything you previously campaigned on. People don't like it. Pierre Polyev has done the opposite. He said uh, he's actually been more aggressive on CBC since he became the leader of the conservatives than he was when he ran for leadership. So he's not back down. He says to Twitter, call CBC state-funded media. And I say to Pierre Polyev, well done, sir. I've got to like, once I get off air, uh, tweet Elon Musk and make sure that Elon uh, sees this. So if you're uh, prancing around Twitter, make sure to give that a retweet in about 10 minutes or so. Um, I want to just talk about this horrible financial advice that Justin Trudeau gave. This was, I believe, in Moncton on April 8th. So just a few days ago. No, was it Moncton? And was it April 8th? I can't remember. Remember, it's a video that's recirculating that was posted on, on April 8th, I think. And it's Justin Trudeau explaining, like, something to do with finances. Take a look for yourself. Yes. You know, you know if you're use, you use your credit card the first time, you're using your credit card to invest in a huge flat-screen TV home theater system for your basement. Okay. You know, that's going to be something you're going to be paying off for, for a while. But if you use your credit card to go back to school, or if you use your credit card, uh, you, you go into debt to uh, build an expansion on your house uh, that you're then gonna be able to uh, sell your house for more. If you're making investments that are gonna return, that is how you grow a strong economy. Because quite frankly, confident economies invest in themselves. And that's exactly what Canada has done, and that's why Canada is looking so good for the future. And our fiscal path is responsible, restrained, and is going to uh, leave people with more opportunities, not burden, in the coming years. You know, 
I went through a fair bit of my own financial struggles when I was younger. I've talked about it in the past. I, you know, had some mental health issues. I wasn't making responsible decisions. You give an 18-year-old a, a credit card, I think in general, and they're not likely to make responsible uh, uh, positions on it. But you learn your lesson, you move on from it. I, there are some people that by virtue of their situations and circumstances don't have the luxury of viewing, of treating credit cards the way they're supposed to be treated, which is, you know, emergency use only. Uh, maybe you just want to put stuff on there for convenience and to get the air miles off of it and you pay it off right away. We have high, high consumer debt loads in this country, incredibly high. Uh, the statistic I bring up on the show all the time because it's a pretty constant one is that uh, the majority of Canadian, or not a majority, but I think it's like close to half of Canadian households are less than $200 away from not being able to pay for their fixed monthly expenses with their standard revenues that they have coming in, which means that uh, everyone is one dental emergency or one pipe bursting or one car repair away from incurring debt. So when Justin Trudeau says, yeah, if you use your credit card to buy a TV, that's not good. But if you use your credit card to invest in something that is good, well, uh, let's talk about the 19% interest rates on those credit cards prime minister uh if you do not have a path to actually make money on that that is not sound financial advice and, and uh, it's it's really the kind of advice that you'd get from a guy who believes that the country's credit card is his own personal slush fund uh, and that anytime he just wants to blow money on something, he can just use the word invest and we're all to believe that it's prudent and responsible, which is far from the case at all. So uh, do not take your financial advice from a guy who could not tell you when the deficit will be reduced to zero. I think that's the, if, if I can reduce this episode down to a single lesson, that's it right there. Don't take financial advice from a guy that has no plan to balance the country's budget, which uh, inexplicably he still presides over. So that does it for us for today. We will wrap things up there and talk to you all on, I believe, actually tomorrow. We're back tomorrow with another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Uh, same time, same place here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.